Because we're going to be looking this morning at, at what the Bible says is the key to a successful church. And, and I know it's something that I struggle with in, in my own life, but it's absolutely imperative that we understand how important this is. But first, we're going to do uh, just, just a little bit of, of trivia. You know, there are a number of cities and towns in our country that have nicknames that, that tell us what that particular town or city is known for. So we're going to see how well you do in matching the nickname with the city. We're going to start with an easy one, all right? The Windy City, of course, is Chicago. All right, how about this one? Next one. The Big Apple is New York City. All right, next. The Big Easy. New Orleans. Yeah, very good. How about this one? The City of Brotherly Love is Philadelphia. Good. The city that rocks? Oh, no. <laughs> Cleveland. It's also the home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Come on. Uh, next one. City that is always turned on. Atlantic City. I didn't even know that one, but that, that's their nickname. How about the sweetest place on earth? <laughs> Hershey, Pennsylvania. Anyone else here believe chocolate is one of God's greatest gifts? Oh, my word, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, years ago, my, my brother owned a cottage in Michigan, a little town named uh, Fenville. And even little Fenville, Michigan, is associated with something. It's known for something. Finville is known for its geese. Thousands and thousands of geese take up residence in Fenville. I mean, you can hear them across the lake honking away. There's, there's a popular diner in downtown Fenville known as the Blue Goose. Every year, Fenville hosts an annual goose festival. They even have an annual tradition of crowning a goose queen. How would you like to be known as a goose queen? I'm not sure I want to be known as that. Uh, but the reality is, geese are fascinating creatures. Now, I, I've spoken here before at, at Hope Community about eagles and how much we can learn about a, a life from eagles. But truth be known, there are some valuable lessons that we can learn from geese as well. And we're going to look at three of those this morning. But we begin by looking at Paul's words to the church as found in Philippians 2. And before we read them, just here's a little bit of, of, of background. Now, the book of Philippians is actually a letter written to the church by Paul when he was in prison. And you see, sadly, the church was becoming known for its bickering and disunity among its members. So Paul writes this letter in part to remind them of the importance of Christian community. Now that word community, which is part of your name here, simply means common unity. Common unity. And unity is the success. It's the key to success of God's church. God wants us as his church to be in common unity with each other. So even though God, through Paul, wrote this to the church in Philippi centuries ago, these words of instruction apply also to Hope Community Church in Lowell today. 
Listen to these words. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, this is what God wants for his church, that we live in unity, that we focus on what we have in common, that we are one in spirit and purpose. And if you want to fully grasp the importance of spiritual unity, consider this. The church cannot survive without it. And if you want to see the results of disunity, read the paper. Watch the news. See what's happening in the political landscape of our country. Disunity. But whether you know it or not, this church has a mission. And if you're not familiar with it, here it is. The mission of Hope Church is to honor God by loving our neighbors, sharing the gospel, and caring for each other. This is your mission statement. So how do we know if Hope Community is a successful church, if you're loving your neighbors, if you're sharing the gospel, if you're caring for each other. In other words, if you're living up to your name, if you truly are a body of believers who offer hope in common unity. But here is the thing. You cannot have community without unity. So this morning, we are going to look at some valuable lessons in unity that are strangely enough modeled for us by geese. And the first lesson we can learn from geese is this. We must work together to get where we're going. See, when geese fly south in the winter, they fly in a V formation, right? And if you ever wondered why, you're about to find out. As a flock of geese takes flight, each goose flaps its wings and creates an uplift for the bird following. And by flying in a V formation, biologists have concluded that the whole flock adds 71% more flying range than if each goose flew alone. So by working together, they lessen the resistance, they minimize the effort and energy that's spent by the entire flock. In fact, whenever a goose breaks from the V and falls out of formation, 
that lone goose will immediately feel the drag and, and the resistance of flying alone. And then they will quickly get back into formation where they will once again experience that uplifting power of the birds in front. Well, here's the truth of the matter. This flock of believers known as Hope Community Church will be infinitely more successful in accomplishing your mission of loving and sharing and caring if you work together toward that goal. Friends, we need to be united about where we're going and how we're going to get there. In fact, it's the only way we will live out our mission. Philippians 2 provides the church with a foolproof formula for spiritual unity. And here are the ingredients. Be one in spirit and purpose. Don't do anything with selfish motives. Treat each other with humility, looking out for the interests of others, not just ourselves. Put off personal agendas. Take on the very nature of a servant. Adopt the mind of Christ in our interactions with each other. That, Paul says, is what the church of Christ should look like. That should be our identity. And that can only happen if we are committed to unity. But I need to issue a disclaimer here. Living in unity does not mean that we won't have differences of opinion. It is said that where two or three are gathered, you're going to have two or three different ideas of how we should do things. But just like in a marriage or any relationship for that matter, it's often not our differences of opinion that is the problem. It's how those differences are expressed. And the Bible has a little something to say about that as well. In the book of Colossians, Paul instructs that our conversation with each other be seasoned with grace and love. Friends, there is always room for disagreement in the church when it is done in love. You know, m most of us are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. It's known as the Bible's love chapter. I just read it at a wedding yesterday. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what love is. It says love is patient, it's kind, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. But actually, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us more about what love is not. It says love is not envious. Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love does not seek selfish interests. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not easily angered. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. And the mere fact that there are over 30,000 different denominations in the Christian church is a telltale sign that we have a lot of work to do in the unity department. You see, the vast majority of these denominations are a result of a church split. And it seems that rather than committing to unity and working together, we let our differences divide us. The sad truth is the vast majority of church growth in America is not because unchristians are becoming Christians. It's because Christians can't get along with other Christians and they just go to another church. 
It reminds me of a, a story I heard some time ago of a, a man who was stranded on a desert island for seven years. And finally, he flagged down a ship, and the ship stopped and saved him. And he boarded the ship, and as they were pulling away from the island, he's standing next to the captain of the ship, and the captain says, you were alone here for seven years? He said, yes, sir. He said, what are those three huts on the beach? He said, well, I built those. He said, well, what are they? You know, the church on the, the, the one on the left is my house. The one on the right is my church. And the captain said, what's the one in the middle? And said, that's a church I used to go to. <laughs> the moral of that story, the problem just might be us. <laughs> Having differences in the church is not the problem. It's actually normal, even healthy. The problem is how we express those differences. And friends, if our communication is not seasoned with grace and love, it can cause disunity. And disunity separates the flock. Disunity creates drag. Disunity does not bring honor to God. And disunity will prevent a church from living out its mission. You see, when we are committed to being a people of unity, we are committing to work together to reach our common destination, even if we have differing ideas as to how to get there. You know, years ago, I served as an elder. And for many of those years, I served with a guy who I just did not see eye to eye with. I mean, he saw things very differently than I did. And the majority of times when something came to a vote, if I voted yes, I could be pretty sure he was going to vote no. But I loved having him on the elder board because he always made me think. He expressed his opinion passionately, but always lovingly. And no matter how that final vote turned out, we left the room as friends. The truth is this. We will never love people outside the church if we can't love people inside the church. And don't think for a second the enemy doesn't know that. And one of his most powerful weapons in destroying the church is creating a sense of disunity. <coughs> you know, a pastor friend of mine once told me the story of, of how his church was just growing both in number and spirit until disunity began to rear its ugly head. And not unlike the church in Philippi, there were some disagreements that were beginning to cause divisiveness. So the elders decided it was time to call a town hall meeting so that the differences could be aired. And the chairman stood in front of the congregation and asked them to voice their concerns. And the first person stood up and said, I don't like those praise songs. We're supposed to be singing hymns in the church. Okay? So on a whiteboard, the elder wrote praise songs. Anybody else? Yeah. Drums. No place in the church. It's supposed to be organ and piano. Somewhere it says that in the Bible. No drums. So, so he writes drums on the board. Anyone else? Yeah. People like raising their hands at that, like Pentecostal. It makes me feel very uncomfortable. So he wrote raising hands on the board. Anyone else? Yeah. You know, finally he's got 13 things 
written on the board. Anyone else have anything? No, no, that's, that's it. Okay. Flips the board over and, and draws a big T. On one side, he writes biblical support. On the other side, he writes personal preference. He says, okay, we're going to take these one at a time. Praise song. Chapter and verse. Where does it say you cannot sing praise songs in a worship service? In fact, the Bible says sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's more than a psalter hymnal. Songs, hymns, and spiritual. It says sing to the Lord a new song. He did that this morning. So are we in agreement? That's really a personal preference? Well, yeah. So he writes praise songs under personal preference. Drums, chapter and verse. Actually, you'll see that the Bible talks about using all kinds of instruments to worship our God. So are we in agreement that that's really a personal preference? Writes it under personal preference. Raising hands? Here's the deal. You're going to find a lot more biblical support for the raising of hands than the folding of arms. He writes that under personal preference. In fact, all 13 things went under personal preference. And at that point, the elder said, if we are doing anything that is contrary to the word of God, you owe it to us to tell us, but we are done debating this stuff. And if that is a deal breaker for you, we will help you find another place to worship. And several people did leave the church. And sometime later, one of them who left with guns blazing, an elderly man, asked if he could meet with the elder board. And he sat before the board and said, I am here to ask your forgiveness. Because it's not my church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And I honor you for what you're doing here. And I want to be a part of it. And to this day, he is a vital member of that church and its ministry. Believers who are committed to unity recognize it is not about winning our battles. It's about winning the lost. Because in the end, it doesn't matter how many personal battles we win if we lose the war. And, and here, here's the thing about geese. It doesn't take a whole lot of geese falling out of formation to disrupt the flock. It just takes one. When just one separates from the group, it puts a drag on the entire flock. Just imagine how successful we could be at living out our mission here at Hope Community Church. The love we could share, the lives we could save, the Christ-like care we could give if we didn't demand our own way, if we put our selfish desires aside, if we didn't keep a record of someone else's wrong, if we were all pulling in the same direction, if we were all committed to unity, if instead of looking at those 13 things that divide us, we focused on 1 Corinthians 13 and committed to working together in love and unity. Now, like a flock of geese, we must work together to get where we're going. And, and here's another interesting thing about geese. As they travel together in their V formation, when that lead goose gets tired, it rotates back into the formation and another goose comes up and takes its place. And there's a lesson to be learned here as well. 
to get where we're going, we must share responsibility. I mean, imagine if every single person in this congregation shared the workload. If we all accepted the responsibility to love our neighbors, if we all accepted the responsibility to share the gospel, if we all accepted the responsibility to care for each other. And some of you might say, well, I can do the love my neighbor part and I can care for other people, but that sharing the gospel, that's Pastor Andy's job. You know, I used to think that way. I used to think that pastors and missionaries were the people that God called to share the gospel. And I can't tell you how many people I have encountered, good, Bible-believing, church-going people who have never openly shared the gospel with someone, and most times it's because they are fearful that they're going to be asked a question that they won't have the answer to. So they have come to believe that the only ones qualified to share the gospel are people with a seminary degree. And they're fearful that if they engage in a spiritual conversation with someone, it's just going to lead to a theological debate, and they decide it's better just to not say anything. You know something? If you share with someone about what Jesus Christ has done in your life, no one can possibly argue with you. In fact, there is no better way of sharing the gospel than by telling others what your faith means to you. Friends, I would not be here this morning if it weren't for my Jesus. See, like many of you, I grew up in the church. I went to Christian schools. I memorized Bible verses. And I could share the gospel by telling you who the Bible says God is. And I could even reference the corresponding catechism. Or I could tell you who God is to me. I could tell you that God is my father. A father who thinks the world of me. He is my Savior. He has done for me what I couldn't possibly do for myself. He is my Redeemer. He has taken the bad things of my life and turned them into good. He is my rock, my shield, my fortress, my ever-present help in trouble. And when I struggle with shame over things from my past, He is the lifter of my head. And in a world that seems pretty hopeless... He is my hope. No one can possibly argue who God is to me. So who is God to you? Have you told anybody about that? That is sharing the gospel. To get where we're going, we must share responsibility. And I understand there are many people here at Hope Community who are doing your part. I hear stuff. Now, you may not be an elder or a deacon or Sunday school teacher, but you're taking responsibility to love your neighbor and to share the gospel and to care for others in your own unique way. Some of you have <clears throat> the gift of encouragement. You just have a knack 
for making that phone call or sending that note of encouragement at just the right time. There are saints here this morning who know how to communicate love without even using words. You bless others more than you will ever know with your simple touch on the shoulder or a well-timed hug. Some of you are struggling with painful things that not many others know about. But some of those people who do know about it have been there for you. Maybe they've given you financial help. Maybe they've watched your kids. Maybe they've done grocery shopping for you. Maybe they brought you a meal. And some of you share your love and care by praying for others. Don't ever underestimate the power of prayer. When it comes to living in true community, we have to be a people of prayer. Let me tell you about my friend Gene. Gene was kind of a rough character. He grew up in in California, blatant unbeliever most of his life, and he was miserable. Had several failed marriages, and then he met a woman who God used to change his life. Because this woman had a nephew who had been diagnosed with leukemia. And when he saw the faith and the outpouring of love on that little boy from that woman's family and her church community, he realized that that connectedness to God was exactly what was missing in his life. So he accepted Christ and he wound up marrying this woman. Well, sometime later, He was at a church men's retreat, and he was going through kind of a tough time. He had a lot going on in his life. And the leader that day asked the men to fill out an index card and write on it one prayer request. What is that one thing that is heaviest on your heart? He said, write that down on the card, and then I want you to hand it to the person next to you, and I want you to pray for each other. Well, he gave his card to the man next to him, but he hadn't written anything on it. The man just looked at him and he said, I got so much going on, I don't know where to start. And the man said, try. What's your heaviest burden? And Gene got so choked up, he could hardly talk. And he said, I have three grown kids, all still living in California. None of them are walking with the Lord. I want them to have what I So that man asked, so what are their names? First, middle, and last. And that man filled out the card. And he prayed that day for Gene's kids. Well, sometime after that, Gene and his wife moved out of town and began attending a different church. Eight years later, Gene ran into that man who prayed for him that day. And they greeted each other with a lot of small talk. Where are you? What are you doing? What church are you going to? Things like that. And then finally the man said, so Gene, how are your kids? Gene again gets choked up. And he shared with that man how all three kids, independently of each other, had accepted Christ and been baptized. And that man reached in his wallet. And he took out a well-worn index card and he said, 
Yes, I don't need this anymore. For eight years, he had been praying by name for those things. I don't ever underestimate the power of prayer when it comes to living out our mission. And here's another interesting fact about geese, and you, you hunters are well aware of this. Geese honk when they're flying. They make a racket. Now, why do you think that is? And no, it's not the female geese honking directions, but the male. <laughs> the geese in formation honk from behind to encourage the leader. They're honking encouragement. There's a lesson here. To get where we're going, we must encourage each other. You see, when, when geese make a racket on a journey, it's for the purpose of encouragement. Well, I've been a pastor long enough to know there's a lot of honking that goes on in the church too, but unfortunately it's not always encouraging. Our honking is sometimes critical in nature, and we don't often realize how that can drag us all down. That can keep us from going where God wants us to go. You see, just like encouragement can be energizing, criticism can be crippling. You know, it is said that for a child, it takes 10 positive affirmations to offset one criticism. And I work with many people in my ministry who grew up in an environment where the ratio was just the opposite. Where words of criticism were spoken freely, but those words of encouragement, those were rare. And, and the Bible tells us pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Have you ever felt that when someone has given you words of encouragement? I mean, that can keep you going for a month to get where we're going. We must encourage each other. And imagine what God's church would look like if we encouraged ten times more than we criticized. Encouraging words bring, bring honor to God. And I guarantee you, they will help you to live out your mission as a church. In Chicken Soup for the Soul, a nun named Sister Helen shares a story of the importance of encouraging words. She writes this. He was in the fifth grade class I taught at St. Mary's School in Morris, Minnesota. All 34 of my students were dear to me, but Mark Eklund was one in a million. Very neat in appearance, he had that happy-to-be-alive attitude that made even his occasional mischievousness delightful. Mark also talked incessantly. I tried to remind him again and again that talking without permission was not acceptable. What impressed me so much, though, was the sincere response every time I had to correct him for misbehaving. Thank you for correcting me, sister. <laughs> I didn't know what to make of it at first, but before long, I became accustomed to hearing that many times a day. One morning, my patience was growing thin when Mark talked once too often, and I made a novice teacher's mistake. I looked at Mark and said, if you say one more word, I'm going to tape your mouth shut. It wasn't 10 seconds later when Chuck blurted out, Mark is talking again. 
I hadn't asked any of the students to help me watch Mark, but since I stated the punishment in front of the class, I had to act on it. I remember the scene as if it occurred this morning. I walked to my desk, very deliberately opened the drawer, took out a roll of masking tape. Without saying a word, I proceeded to Mark's desk, tore off two pieces of tape, and made a big X over his mouth. I then returned to the front of the room. As I glanced at Mark to see how he was doing, he winked at me. <laughs> that did it. I started laughing. The entire class cheered as I walked back to Mark's desk, removed the tape, and shrugged my shoulders. His first words were, thank you for correcting me, sister. At the end of the year, I was asked to teach junior high math. The years flew by, and before I knew it, Mark was in my classroom again. He was more handsome than ever and just as polite. Since he had to carefully listen to my instruction in the new math, he didn't talk as much in the ninth grade. Well, one Friday, things just didn't feel right. We had worked hard on a new concept all week, and I sensed that the students were growing frustrated with themselves. They were edgy with one another. I had to stop the crankiness before it got out of hand. So I asked them to list the names of the other students in the room on two sheets of paper, leaving a space between each name. Then I told them to think of the nicest thing they could say about each of their classmates and write it down. It took the remainder of the class period to finish the assignment, but as the students left the room, each one handed me their paper. Chuck smiled. Mark said, thank you for teaching me, sister. Have a good weekend. That Saturday, I wrote down the name of each student on a separate piece of paper, and I listed what everyone had said about that individual. On Monday, I gave each student his or her list. Some of them ran two pages. Before long, the entire class was smiling. Really? I heard whispers. I never knew that meant anything to anyone. I didn't know others liked me so much. No one ever mentioned those papers in class again. I never knew if they discussed them after class or with their parents, but it didn't matter. The exercise had accomplished its purpose. The students were happy with themselves and one another once again. That group of students moved on. Several years later, after I had returned from a vacation, my parents picked me up at the airport. As we were driving home, mother asked the usual questions about the trip, how the weather was, my experiences in general. Then there was a slight lull in conversation. Mother gave dad a sideways glance and simply said, Dad? My father cleared his throat. The Ecklands called last night, he began. Really, I said, I haven't heard from them for years. I wonder how Mark is. Dad responded quietly, Mark was killed in Vietnam. The funeral is tomorrow, and his parents would like it if you would attend. I had never seen a serviceman in a military coffin before. Mark looked so handsome, so mature. All I could think at that moment was, Mark, I would give all the masking tape in the world if you would just talk to me. After the funeral, most of Mark's former classmates headed to Chuck's farmhouse for lunch. Mark's mother and father were there, obviously waiting for me. We want to show you something, 
his father said, taking his, his wallet out of his pocket. They found this on Mark when he was killed. We thought you might recognize it. Opening the billfold, he carefully removed two worn pieces of notebook paper that had obviously been taped, folded, and refolded many times. I knew without looking that the papers were the ones on which I listed all the good things each of Mark's classmates had said about him. And again, Mark's mother said, as you can see, he treasured it. Mark's classmates started to gather around him. Chuck smiled rather sheepishly and said, I still have my list. It's in the top drawer of my desk. John's wife said, John asked me to put his list in our wedding album. I have mine too, Marilyn said, it's in my diary. Then Vicki, another classmate, reached into her pocket, took out her wallet, and showed me her worn and frazzled list. I carry this with me at all times, Vicki said, without batting an eyelash. I think we all said that. And that is when I finally sat down and had a pleasant moment, more like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. So what can you do as a vital part of this body to promote unity and to help Hope Community Church accomplish your mission? How might you, this week, show the love of Christ to your neighbor? How might you share the glorious truth of the gospel? Who might you tell this week what Jesus has meant to you in your life? And how might you, this week, Show Christ-like care to someone who is in desperate need of that kind of love. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, God says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. That is God's desire for Hope Community Church. Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us. Help us to be a church where unity prevails where each one of us does our part and selflessly works together to accomplish the mission you have given us to carry out, where we share responsibility, where we regularly encourage, give courage to each other on our journey. God, may we bring honor to you by being a church that really is who we say we are, a church that shows the love of Christ to our neighbor church that openly shares the gospel, eagerly telling others what you have meant to us in our lives, a church that deeply cares for each other.
God, we thank you and we praise you for all you are going to do in and through us. And it is in the mighty name of our Jesus that we pray and all God's people said.